Let me tell you about the show's newest sponsor, Juniper Mountain Coffee. You can check them out at junipermountaintradingpost.com and check out everything that they sell. I really like what they say on their website. And guys, if you are a coffee connoisseur like me, this here American company that's not run by a bunch of wokesters might be worth checking out for you. What they say is, we roast coffee for those loyal to a lost way of life, those that never back down in the face of adversity, the ones that keep their word, treat people with respect, and still believe in the importance of hard work. We offer some of the best coffee in the world and look forward to earning a spot in your cup. And they have definitely earned a spot in my cup. Whether you like light roast, dark roast, ground already, or not ground, you just want to order it fresh. And they even have those little pod things for those of you that just make one cup at a time. I drink too much coffee for that, so I don't do that. And they also have a cold brew. But it's a great company, great story. Uh, You guys are going to dig these guys. Check them out at junipermountaintradingpost.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. This is that time of year when it's really time to turn up the heat on your scouting. We're going through summer. Season's going to be here before you know it. And I don't care if you're going after mule deer, whitetail, the mighty whoppity, whatever it is. Scouting is imperative and it makes it much easier when you use trail cameras where they are allowed. And uh, let me tell you something. I, I like trail cameras that are easy to use, functional, and have good quality pictures. That brings us to SpyPoint. SpyPoint trail cameras. You can check them out at spypoint.com. And it doesn't matter if you're looking to do one of the cell cams, like the Flex X or the Flex G36 or the LM2. They have some great deals on their website. Like right now, if you check them out, they've got some clearance cameras going on on the cell cams. You can also get a cell link that attaches to any regular cell camera and will uh, transmit pictures right to your phone. The other trail cameras, if you're way out in the backcountry and don't have phone service out there, the Force Pro S and the Force Pro are my go-to cameras. I absolutely love them. If you guys saw the pictures from this last bear season, they were really high-quality pictures, and they were all done with that Force Pro camera. So check it out, guys, at spypoint.com, and let them know the Western Huntsman sent ya. All right, guys, let's go to Powell, Wyoming, with my buddy Dan Picard. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Time Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. It is July the, what, 25th, I think? Uh, somewhere around there. And it is a nice, hot, balmy July. How you guys doing? I got, um, if, if you were listening last summer, uh, I went down to Powell, Wyoming, and met up with uh, all my pals over there at Eastman's Hunting Journals. And uh, one of the guys I got to sit down and record with is probably, I mean, I don't want to speak, I don't want to speak too boldly, Dan, but uh, one of the best mule deer hunters 
I've ever seen or met in my life, and uh, just a solid hunter, man. And I'm really happy to bring him back on from Eastman's. Uh, everybody, welcome, Mr. Dan Picar. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to be back. Do I'm pronouncing your last name right? Right. Oh, you're nailing it. Okay, yeah. sweet. Because I always, uh, I somebody was taught. I don't know where I heard. You were on some podcast with somebody. I can't even remember who it was. It sounded like they almost said, like, Dan Picker, and I think they just mispronounced it, and I got it right. Oh, yeah. No, okay. you got it right. I've heard I've heard everything under the sun over the years going through school, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think, I think uh, I don't know. It's funny. Some of the easiest last names, too, are, are uh, often mispronounced the most. It's it's interesting how that works. No, Absolutely. Unless your name is Guy Duplanchier, I've I've heard his uh, he he does the uh, Western Contours podcast, and I've I've heard people mispronounce his name so many different ways I can't even see straight. So, man, <laughs> how you doing, brother? How are things? I'm good. Yeah, no, good. Just kind of getting ready for season. We're heck three weeks out from archery antelope, if you can believe that. I know, so. man. I don't even know. Like it's it's so weird how that worked out this year. It it, it was like. One minute I felt like I was buried in snow and wishing the passes would clear so I can get up to my bear hunting spots. And uh, now all of a sudden it's the end of July and I, I'm like, oh man, I, I've been shooting my bow here and there, but I need to like really start shooting the bow. Oh yeah, it's time to get serious. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's been a busy summer for us. So, um, I, I, which is funny. Speaking of bear hunting, man, uh, that video... Luke is the one that posts these videos sometimes to to my Instagram and and I think yours and the Eastman's ones or, or whatever. Yep. Luke put that video of you saucing that bear, and that is like hands down by far the most viewed and interacted video real thing I've ever had posted on Instagram. It's like <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's hundreds of thousands of views, man. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> It just, it just wouldn't die. It was crazy over like several weeks even. I know. And I still, I still like, it was actually like two months, man. And, and like, I still get comments on it. All of a sudden I'll, I'll get some notification or whatever late at night and I'll look at it and, and it'll, it, it's, it's somebody commenting on that video and it, I, I get it too, because it is a pretty slick video. You're just like cool as ice as this bears coming into, uh, coming into range and and make this great shot on him and uh i i, I want to ask you about that actually because some of the people in that were commenting oh you hit him in the wrong spot tell everybody how far away that bear died yeah he, he uh he only went like 15 yards yeah so yeah. and if anybody hasn't seen that the arrow appears to go in and correct me if i'm wrong dan but like the arrow impacts like that upper front shoulder area uh, or do, yep. is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a little forward. I will say, uh, just a little bit forward, but through the shoulders, through the front of the lungs, uh, that bear was flinging blood. It, we, we cut it obviously because it was very graphic. And then, uh, I shot the bear again and death moans and all sorts of things like that. And so, yeah. you know, some things just don't belong on social media and that was one of them, but uh, yeah, it was just a little bit forward, but right at the front of the lungs and yeah, the bear, he, he died, uh, within 15 seconds from start to finish and went 15 yards. Wow, man. It, it, it was incredible. It's, it really is a cool clip. And I agree. There's, 
you know, I'm glad you guys cut it off because I'm I'm uh, I'm super picky with you know like kill shots that get posted on on my page. Uh, I and and I think that I think that the cleanliness of that is it, it makes it so that it's like super educational that people that are into bear hunting with bows can get a lot out of it without it being like super offensive to non bear hunters or or non hunters in general. Yeah, 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 for sure. And you know in the world of social media it's like why attract negative attention if you can help it yeah yeah no and kidding. so yeah it's it's real life and i like to be raw and uncut too but uh it's it's like on social media it's like why attract you know psychotic people that are going to send me death threats because i shot a bear yeah i <laughs> know <laughs> you know i i think i'm uh i'm going pretty good this year i haven't had any death threats in 2023 yet <laughs> good so I, good. I must be doing something right i don't know tell tell yeah. everybody uh tell everybody what uh, you do for eastman's in case they don't know about you and and uh give us like a quick snapshot of your background yeah yeah uh for eastman's i do a little bit of everything ike refers to me as you know jack of all trades uh i do a lot of editing writing uh show season i do gear reviews uh, YouTube videos, uh, have an online series on YouTube on the Eastman's hunting journals, YouTube channel called beyond the grid, I'm a producer for that. So I, you know, go on these hunts and then produce epic content and drop them on the interwebs. And that's probably my, um, my favorite thing that I do uh, of this job is filming my adventures and then sharing them uh, with you all. So I enjoy that. And then uh, I do a lot of, I'm part of the learning group, uh, of Eastman's, meaning uh, the online mule deer course, which is our online uh, start to finish A to Z, how to hunt mule deer uh, course that I built last year with Brian Barney and Guy Eastman. So that takes up a lot of my time as well. And then fall hunting season, I'm busy for two and a half months hunting. And so, as you can imagine, I get a great variety uh, all throughout the year, depending on the season and depending on what's going on. And so I love that about my job is just the the variety. Yeah, man, uh, I was always changing. Oh yeah, no, it's yeah, every week's different and I you know, have running projects that I work on for several days and then I have little things I do in between and so it's just busy 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 and go go go. Dude, there there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this including me that are I cuz I think of my day job Okay, I got to go I drive four hours, get on like the roof of, let's say, a hospital and go up there and take some pictures and analyze the roof condition and then go back and sit behind my computer for like four hours and do this estimate in the most boring software program ever invented, known to man, <laughs> and, and, and present this bid, right? That's like the gist of what I do. How in the yep. hell does somebody get your job where... Your job is to go film hunting and then create a bunch of content around it and uh, put put it out there and 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 develop these courses where people like like people like me need them, right? The mule deer course where where we could jump on and 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 go through you know all sorts of different tips and tactics tactics from you know some of the best mule deer hunters in the west and and put that out there. I, I mean, I know it's a lot of hard work, and you put in a lot of time and a lot of hours, but it sounds pretty fantastic, and I just want to know, like, how, how, how'd you get to this point? 
Yeah, yeah, it was definitely started back when I was a kid with my dad introducing me to the outdoors at a young age. And so I just had that time to evolve and to shape kind of what I really enjoyed in the outdoors. And I have done everything from, you know, big game hunting, antelope hunting with a rifle all growing up. And then I was really into waterfowl hunting for a while and then just looking for that next challenge. And that was bow hunting, uh, something that was difficult to master. Uh, it was exciting because you get up close and personal. Um, so I just love the challenge and, and testing myself and seeing what I'm, I'm made of is kind of how that evolved. And then I was lucky enough with timing and, and going to college. And then I just wanted to, to get better at bow hunting. And so I became a hunting guide outside of college. And then I just kind of revolved my life around bow hunting there for a few years. I, I worked seasonal at a ranch being a, a fishing guide, ranch work, and then a hunting guide in the fall. And then I'd go to Hawaii in the springtime and just hunt, 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 and just get repetitions in. And so I had, you know, five years to really focus on bow hunting and uh, build that skill set and build knowledge and travel and hunt, hunt, hunt. And uh, just like anything, it, it's just, if you want to get good at it, you just got to do it a lot, mm -hmm. you know, go hunting a lot. Um, shooting targets only gets you so far. And so, you know, and, and knowing that I was like, I just need more repetitions in the field because, you know, everybody's heard the stories growing up of the big one that got away. And I never wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be clutch in the moment of truth and clutch when there's the biggest bucker bull in front of me that I've ever seen in my life and not screw it up. And that, that kind of just drove me to get better over the years. And then just kind of evolved in, in hunting with uh, a lot of guys, different people and networking. And uh, I ended up guiding one week with Jordan Brashears, who was a writer for Eastman's at the time doing the MRS stuff. And that was about the time right after Nate Simmons left. And so the Eastman's were looking for some bow hunting content. And so Jordan was given the opportunity to hunt and he found me and he's like, dude, you'd be perfect for this. Cause I grew up filming all my stuff too. So just kind of yeah. self-taught and, you know, watching the old VHS videos back in the day and wanting to make my own VH or, you know, my own videos, home videos of hunting when we were kids. And so just doing it a long time and then meeting the right people. And before you know it, I'm an employee. So uh, it's not like I submitted a resume. I got, got lucky and met the right people. And it was, it was a timing thing, like most things in life. Like mm -hmm. I think some people are just, you know, right place, right time in sure. many different aspects of life. And so I think that's just kind of how it lined up. You know, it's what the interesting takeaway from what you just said there though. Uh, I, I think, you know, whoops. I think that was my phone. Your phone wasn't beeping, right? No, nope. that, that's nope. the downfall with recording with a phone. Anyway, um, I, I think the, one of the interesting things that you just talked about there be, because when you look at skill sets and hunters and hunters that tend to be braggadocious in a way, but don't have the stats to back it up kind of thing. We've all met that guy, you know, your uncle or some dude you work with who acts like, you know, they're, 
the, the you know God's gift to hunting or whatever. Sorry, I, my phone is going nuts here. Let me yep. just pause that or shut that down. There we go. Okay, we've all met that guy, right? And and I think that when when you're talking about somebody, you're like, oh well, you know, it was just good timing. But that's only part of it, Dan, because you have the skill set. And, and the skill set that is required to be in a position that you're in, because nobody wants to watch an amateur hunter uh, on, on YouTube all the time. Yeah, you know, that that's just it's just not the re- realistic expectation to have when we're talking about creating content. And so the skill set has to be in place. Like, my, I, I can't do a YouTube channel, dude. I can't do like a bunch of hunting videos because nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm walking out of there with an unnotched tag. And I'm okay with that. But the, actually, I'm not. I'm going to get better, man. I'm going to. I'm going to. You'll 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 mentor me to better to to greatness, right? Absolutely. <laughs> no, what I think what I'm, I think what I'm driving at is, so many people think that spending one or two weeks a year in the field is going to make them this great professional hunter, and and they have a hard time defining. The difference between your average hunter versus like an actual professional hunter and and the the level of skill that separates the two gets diminished by those people that I were I was referring to earlier, the uncle or the the guy you work with that acts like they're this great hunter with all this great hunting experience and then come to find out, you know, they spend a couple of weekends a year and that's what they've been doing for their whole life and they've like killed one elk, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, you know, and I don't know really where I'm going with this other than I think it's important to highlight what the what that skill set differentiator is and and you nailed it with time in the field and the fact that you know it's like being it's like being in the NBA those those guys didn't just practice once a week uh shooting hoops man these guys are out there working their butts off every day and and that's what separates you know your average hunters, and and you know I think it's important too to point out it's there's nothing wrong with somebody that's just an average hunter that just gets enjoyment out of going out for maybe a week or so a year and and getting in the field and maybe just you know they like being being at camp with the with the boys or something you know there's nothing wrong with that and so don't anybody take me wrong but to get to that level what you're talking about takes a lot of time it's a huge commitment and a lot of practice just like anything else you want to be a great guitar player you got to practice a lot you want to be a great um, you know, basketball player, you got to practice a lot. Every anything you do in life, and that's the point and level of which you've gotten to to uh, enable you to have this cool career where where you get to hang out with everybody at Eastman's and and create all this content and YouTube and uh, you know mule deer courses and everything else. So, anything yeah. you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I I think you hit the nail on the head, and uh, being humble is big, and I always just have the mindset of of being a student of the game. I'm never going to master this. I'm never going to be the best of the best. Anytime you think that you're the best at something, there's 10 people that are way better than you are. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's about, you know, for me, it's, it's about doing it for the right reasons and testing myself and seeing what I'm made of and challenging myself. And that's why I find the job so enjoyable is Guy and Ike allow me to be me and I can hunt. I I hunt for the right reasons. I'm not hunting for other reasons that, you know, maybe Guy or Ike would want me to do. It's that's, they're not asking me to to be somebody I'm not. They're, they're asking me to um, go out there and, and do what you do and, 
they have faith in me and they believe in me and they believe in my skill set and and my perseverance and that's ultimately uh yeah how you become successful but uh yeah. that's that's the special thing because yeah doing it on video and doing it for work and you're expected to produce you know that that that's a lot of pressure that that, that really it, it ruins it. it ruins it for some guys it really does i've talked to them and it ruins the whole thing for them and and for me i like pressure i thrive on pressure i, I like to see what i'm made of when i'm under pressure and so uh, it doesn't bug me really um mm-hmm. i don't lose sleep over it i i like being tested and so it just fits it's not for everybody but um i, I like it and i, I like just the desire to, to get better and be a, a student of a game and, and just do better every hunt and treat every hunt as my last. And, and that's it. I mean, that's about all I can tell you. <laughs> and, and that's, yeah. And that, that's why you're good at what you do. And that's, that's why people seek you out to learn how to, you know, say mule deer hunt. Let's, let's plug that course. Tell us a little bit about that course and what people can expect to get out of it. Yeah. The, the purpose of the course was to take, uh, a novice guy, an intermediate guy, or a professional hunter, or a, a, an expert hunter, whatever you want to call it, um, but just take their skill set to the next level. So uh, we started from you know basic safety in the backcountry. Uh, we go through gear, we go through our packs, we go through our food choices, our calorie counts, our boots, our broadheads, our arrows, our rifles, uh, you name it, and it's covered. And probably my favorite. A lesson is the hunt strategy lesson because I think that's where you really uh, take your skill set to the next level. Because you know you're only as your your gear doesn't define how good of a hunter you are, right? It's you know they say it's you know it's it's not the bow, it's the Indian, you know the old saying. Yep. And so the the hunt strategy section is myself, Brian, and a, there's a sum of guy in there, and we basically do a a narration step-by-step of our hunts and you know why we did what we did on this stock or this approach and what was going through our mind and and what we were thinking about and how we're using the terrain and how we're using the wind and and failures too you know misses too that that's a part of bow hunting too and we talk about that and that's ultimately how you get better at it is being able to immerse yourself in a scenario and learn from it. Let me That's ask the, you, the bottom line. Let, let me ask you this, man, because I, I've gone through part of the course, but um, the one thing that happens is, well, let, let me re, re-ask it this way. For somebody that ha, that is really good at finding mule deer and really good at finding mediocre bucks and really good at killing mediocre bucks... I, I, cause I am, I'm, that's, that's what my whole life has been is, is, is mule deer. And I'm, I'm good at finding these decent, you know, four points, you know, maybe a little four by five kind of, kind of buck, but these 150, 160, 200 class, you know, d- depending on where you're at, which by the way, uh, your, your class of mule deer down in your neck of the woods is, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty envious. Um, the, the problem that I have is, I, I struggle finding the big guys, the big suckers that you, you're always putting down. Um, I, I, I usually notch a tag on a mule deer every year. 
well, unless I'm the last couple of years, I've been mainly whitetail hunting, but uh, I, I'm looking to. Will the course be helpful to a guy who's looking to up his game in terms of the class of animal? Uh, finding that that 150 inch better or better kind of you know caliber mule deer. Does that make sense? How I'm asking that? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. We we talk about uh, different classes of bucks and and what to look for, and and ultimately you're never going to kill a giant buck uh, if they don't live there, right? I mean, bottom line, ninety uh, percent of the hunts across the West are opportunity hunts where it's, it's very, very rare to come across to like a 180 buck, like a, or even a 170 buck. It's, it's pretty darn rare. Uh, the only way you get bucks of that size is yeah. Habitat, but age, you need to get age on bucks, uh, seven, eight, nine years old. And, you know, most of these States like Montana public land, you know, it's managed for opportunity. And so these deer don't really get the chance to get age on them. And so that's the first, first thing is, you know, bucks or hunting areas that uh, deer can get age on them. So that could be very rugged areas uh, that are hard to access and don't get a lot of hunting pressure, but you also got to have the genetics and you got to have the quality feed. Uh, so yeah, we, we go through this on the course on some of the different regions across the West and, you know, where to, to focus on, and to consider when it comes down to trophy mule deer. Okay. Okay. That anything else you want to cover on that mule deer course? Uh, yeah, it's very extensive. Uh, you, I definitely feel you get your money's worth. Uh, we have our preseason special going on right now. It's $10 off. So it's 89 bucks and that's for the year. And you get a outdoor edge knife and you get those black Ovis meat sacks and your name goes in the hat to win a mule deer hunt with us here at Eastman. So uh, kind of a big deal, a lot of great information. It'll take you eight hours to get through the course. It's all video driven, so it's very easy. And yeah, sit back and learn a few things and take some notes. And I promise you, you'll, you'll come out of it with a lot, a lot more knowledge and many more tools in the toolbox for your next hunt. Dude, I didn't. I didn't know you guys were doing a hunt giveaway uh, as part of that package right now. So, like, if I went in, I, I know I've already got access to the course here. But if I went in, and like, made some fake account and I win, would you guys be pissed? <laughs> we're like, oh, we, we can't give this to Jim. We're gonna draw another name. <laughs> what are we getting? Freaking huntsman, man. <laughs> we're not hunting with that guy. <laughs> then we find out you have like thirty six accounts. <laughs> I'd do it. I'd do it, man. I feel like if I if I got to spend like one day hunting with a guy like you, my my hunting game would go way up. So I'd have to. I'll 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 get one of those like mustache costumes or something and just show up. Be like, I'm the winner. Um, <laughs> Come with a different name and everything. Yeah, my name. Uh, yeah, my name is Elijah, and I won your. <laughs> I won your shit. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You gotta watch out, man. Don't put it above me. I love it. I'm gonna keep an eye on you. All right, man. No, that's great. I I hope I hope you guys listening. If if you're as nutty about mule deer hunting as I am, and whether you're just getting into it or you are, you know, you've got some some salt. Your salt shaker's a little full, but you haven't tagged out on that monster buck like me. 
um, I, you know, I, I, I'd love to see you guys get into this course because I, I really do believe in these courses. And a mule deer course is fairly different than some of these other, like, you know, hunting courses that you hear or see about out there because mule deer are very specific animals in there. And, and the way that you, you go after a mule deer is very different. And let me ask you this, Dan, if I get on a four wheeler and I can jump a fork at horn right out of the, out of the ditch on the side of the road, is that a good, is that a good way? <laughs> so how we get it done in Wyoming? You gotta pull over and get thirty feet off the right away, and then you can log. Oh man, that's just a technicality. <laughs> no, I'm I kidding, know what but... they say if if, uh, if if a tree falls in the woods, <laughs> and uh, did it really make a sound if nobody's there to hear it? Exactly, so. exactly. No, I on a, on a serious note, guys. That. Um, I see a lot of uh, two point, three point, and and small four points going down uh, each season, mule deer wise, and and I'm not disparaging anybody. You know, hunt hunt for uh, you know what what uh, hunt for what you're after. It's all it's your hunt. But if you have the desire, like I do, to to kill some of these monster bucks out there, this this course would be the way to get get it figured out. Because I I just I didn't have the person in my life growing up to teach me how to go after those big suckers, man. And so it's just like this, it's like this, uh, I see guys like you and it's like, man, how, how do they, how did they learn this? How did they learn how to be this effective when, you know, in high country going after a mule deer? And so, oh, where, where they could find the course Eastman's hunting journal.com forward slash mule deer. I, I can't remember what that, let me see if I can Yeah, it's just eastmans.com and it's on the homepage. Really easy to find. Guys, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes, in fact. All right, man. Let's shift gears. I um, I know, like we we talked about grizzly bears before you jumped on here, and you are uh, tell us a little bit about we we discussed talking about grizzly bear safety and hunting in grizzly country. Um, as of I I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, there was a jogger that was just killed down in Yellowstone by a grizzly. Yep. Uh, sounds like she was um jogging and I, I didn't read the full article but it sounds like she was jogging and possibly had some like headphones in and didn't hear or see it coming and didn't have any bear spray or anything so uh give us give us your take on on some grizzly bear safety yeah that's that's a huge one it seems like to the closer you get to the park the sketchier it is with these bears that uh, just want to eat people i guess they're just crazy and they're not they're fearless and uh, it's insane out there, but, uh, yeah, just having a head on your, your head on a swivel. And, uh, I talk about it a lot too. And I think I brought it up in the mule deer course too, but just being aware with how you travel in, in country, um, meaning you're not going up gullies, you're not beating thick brush where you could, uh, you know, run into a bear. And, and I know that, you know, I grew up in the flathead, so it's, it's all brushy up there and you don't have a choice, but to beat brush North Idaho is the same way, but, mm-hmm. um, do all you can to not surprise a bear. That's, that's the big one. And then, um, yeah, having headphones in, that's a no, no, a few years ago up by Glacier park, uh, there was, he was actually a law enforcement officer, but it, it, he was off duty with his family and they're riding bicycles and a bear chased him down and killed him when he was riding his bike. No kidding. I didn't hear yes. about that one. It's probably five years ago, six years ago. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's like a movie, like what is going on and what's even more insane is 
the the bear lovers and the predator lovers and you know the leftists that are totally anti-hunting and anti-conservation they, they like that that they they would they they're the ones that are saying that you know we as humans are impeding on their homes and we're the problem it's not the bears i know but i and i they, hate that comparison dan because they act like we were implanted here by aliens and and like earth isn't our home either yeah you know like exactly what, what go ahead and finish your point i kind of cut you off there yeah no and and so what's so ideologically wrong about that is that they don't really acknowledge or accept like the western hunting and conservation model of of big game management and they prefer that nature be returned to its original form uh where where man doesn't have any say or do in the hand of management of these animals yeah it's it's an interesting concept because what and who can define what the original form was as if as if there was ever life with these animals pre-human you know it's it's not like the existence can separate each other and and to include what about them when they live in Jackson, Wyoming, or or they live in L.A. or, or somewhere like that? Are you going to return that area back to its original state of, of this this like uh, phantom utopian wild nature you know preserve? I, I don't understand the the mentality here. How how far ahead of objective are we on the endangered species list or, or for grizzlies in in terms of the ECA? Yeah, yeah. Back uh, in 76, they went on the list and, you know, they claimed there were less than 100 bears or whatever the number was. Um, but but they keep moving the goalpost. And so I don't know that there's a set number now, but they keep moving the goalpost uh, because, you know, it's political. And of course, they they claim science. And the problem of it is, is it's the game and fish departments and the the federal wildlife service it's more of like the feds that believe the same and like like california and colorado like the humane society is infiltrating the parks and wildlife and mm-hmm. and the, the hunting there and you know they, they outlaw cougar hunting mountain lion hunting in california you know, what happens you know the dogs are getting snatched up off people's porches and run joggers are getting attacked and in their minds for whatever reason they have these infatuation and hard-ons for predators and that they need to be untouched and mm-hmm. there's even you know it's it's crazy but these these are the type of people that are infiltrating our game and fish departments yeah they have no and they're they're also infiltrating you know wildlife commissions such as like the washington wildlife commission uh, yep. And and in California, that's happening pretty uh, well. And Colorado, we're seeing in Colorado right now with reintroduction of wolves uh, into Colorado, which is going to be a nightmare for for our friends in Colorado. But um, you know that you make a good point. You made a good point about how going back to this concept of, of getting it back to the original way it used to be, or or as if there's some they they have this fantasy of this pre-human time like this pre-human time when wildlife thrived by itself and everything was balanced and there was no 
wildlife management issues as if there was a that I, I think that what that they 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 look at it as if when you take the West and European settlement in the West of the of the United States, you know that was not very long ago, and I think that just from some of the things I read them write and and hear them say when they're promoting these these uh, these bogus philosophies, it's it's an absolute shit show. That they act like there was no human existence here prior to European settlement. Like you go exactly. two hundred and fifty years ago, or or three hundred years ago, there was you know it was just this wildlife utopia. There was a perfect amount of wolves, and they had the perfect amount of elk and antelope and deer and everything else. And and you know that's just not reality. That this idea that there was no wildlife management prior to European settlement is is wrong. It's it's absolutely wrong. And so I. I know that they think that the science is on their side, but and they have this proclivity to, you know, exaggerate what the science actually says and and exaggerate what the problem actually is. And in fact, I I would argue at this point now, Dan, that they they've taken it to a point in which there there needs to start being some kind of liability. Like people are getting killed where they shouldn't be. And and there there needs to be this liability that can be placed upon these animal rights activists in some way, and I don't know what the answer is or or how we achieve that. But if you think about the fact that, like that that bicyclist that you you were talking about getting killed uh, up up by um, you said it was up by Glacier, yeah, West Glacier, yep. And, and there's there's been some uh, hunting fatalities over the last few years from grizzly bears. Uh, from Montana to uh, there was a couple of attacks in Idaho that were not fatal uh, last year, which, by the way, my friends in North Idaho, uh, make no mistake, you Unit 4, Unit 4A, Unit 1, Unit 3 hunters, Unit 6, uh, there are grizzly bears in there. So so, so don't hunt it like it's not grizzly country because I live here, guys, and I, I see them all the time. They're on my cameras, everything. So that aside, the the liability factor, and I don't know if this is even achievable, but these people didn't have to die at the hands of a grizzly bear because one little hunting season, it doesn't have to be, you know, there doesn't need to be a thousand tags out there for, for killing grizzly bears. A few hunters goes a long way in teaching these bears that human interaction is dangerous for them. That's why in Alaska, the bear density is much higher, but per capita, the attack and fatal fatal encounters is, is much less than it is here in the lower 48. It's because these bears understand that human interaction is dangerous. And I think that there should somehow be some level of liability or lawsuit that that could be formulated to come after these animal rights groups and say, look, we get it. You don't like hunting, but people, uh, hunters are humans and humans are dying at the hands of these grizzly bears because they have no fear of humans and they are way overpopulated. That's why they're coming down into my neighborhood and chasing my neighbor's chickens all over the place because they're running out of habitat. They, they, I just don't understand where this mentality comes from that we need to put certain animals up on this pedestal and, and they don't need management. It's just not realistic. What say you? I've been talking about Hoffman Boots for a very long time. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of this company. And it's not just the great products that they make. It's the story behind the company and the people that run it. This generational family of shoemakers right here in North Idaho 
Make some of the best hunting boots and pack boots and lineman boots and all your boot needs right in one place at HoffmanBoots.com. For us hunters, I highly recommend the Explorer. And I don't care if you're running in the 6-inch or the 8-inch or the 10-inch. Personally, I, I love my 8-inch Explorers. They've got the Vibram sole. They are totally waterproof. There's no break-in period. Guys, you can't go wrong with Hoffman Boots because you get all that without breaking the bank. So check them out at HoffmanBoots.com and use promo code all caps lock Huntsman 10 at checkout for 10% off and find out why I have been wearing my Hoffman boots for years and years. Don't be one of those people that have it in their mind that Savage Arms is the same firearms that your grandpa was running around with 40 years ago. It's not. Big game hunting rifles that you can count on. I love my Savage Firearms. I have got the Savage 110 Hunter, uh, and my daughter is uh, pretty happy with this 110, 110 Apex Hunter XP. Um, the AccuTrigger is a really interesting little piece to this firearm, and it's a new piece of technology that uh, if you've never tried one, you should, because it'll make you more accurate. It's it's a much easier, higher quality firearm than anything else I've got out there, and I've, I've got a lot of firearms, guys, and so... If you're in the market for a new hunting rifle, make sure you visit SavageArms.com because I promise you, you're going to find something that is accurate, easy to handle, easy to use, long range, functional, just a high quality weapon that you could take to the field and have a lot of confidence that when the time comes, you've got that Savage backing you up and you're going to be notching a tag. Check it out. SavageArms.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's it's not science. It's an emotional driven response to their political agenda. Mm-hmm. Fish and wildlife management is politics. It's not science anymore unless us, the hunters, the ta- the taxpayers and the, the guys that are buying license and supporting these departments unless we speak out and hold them accountable. Because it's political agendas that are pushing this ideology and that's it. That's all it is. It's political agendas Mm -hmm. in in the the greater Yellowstone and the greater um, Northern continental continental divide ecosystem. There's over 75 grizzly bears a year that are killed by the game and fish departments because they're getting into trouble or they're having conflicts with humans. There's so many bears ending up down in neighborhoods, ending up in places that they've never been seen before. It's just like the wolf ending up in California. They, they travel the same way. Yeah. And it, it's just political agendas. But I do think that, and this is crazy to say what I'm, I'm going to say here, it's going to take the right person dying for somebody to be held accountable, just like the corner crossing thing that happened. The, the right guys got taught quote unquote, but they got cited, but they were lawyers and they had the funds to fight it and fight back and they won. Mm -hmm. And that's all this is, is if somebody has the time or their money in the family of a victim from a grizzly bear to file a lawsuit against these game and fish departments in these States and the federal fish and wildlife service that blatantly refuse to manage a problem species that is scientifically out of control and they refuse to do anything about it. That right there 
it could be considered first degree murder or second degree murder at the minimum. At the minimum, you know, even manslaughter. Because if you, it, it's it's the same thing. What kind of analogy would make sense here? What like like it's it's almost like the same thing when 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 law enforcement kills the wrong person or or kills somebody that that maybe wasn't a threat. You know, it was it was unjustifiable. Uh, for law enforcement to do that or whatever, and and you have you have the general public that just has this big negative reaction, right? It's yep. it's it's like a similar it's it's kind of a similar thing when when we're talking about this. We've got hunters that have always been hunting because it's been passed down through their families and lineage for for you know hundreds to a thousand years, to, depending on what their lineage is. It's a human thing to do, and there's always this big misinterpretation with activists where when we argue for wildlife management they they take it as oh well you want to kill all the grizzly bears out there you want to kill all the wolves or you want to kill all the mountain lions nobody is saying that look we have a very robust mountain lion season in the state of idaho and we still have a shitload of mountain lions (laughs) there's like nobody's saying let's go kill all the mountain lions Idaho also has the most aggressive wolf management plan out of any state with wolves. And we also still have the highest population of wolves in the lower 48. So nobody is saying that we want to go out and kill all the grizzly bears. Uh, To the contrary, sure, let's have some grizzly bears. But when they are left unchecked and unmanaged, that's when they become dangerous to humans. These bears have gotten to that point. And so how how do we get this into the mind, uh, into the thick schools of these activists that that have no concept uh, of, of what the reality of wildlife management and wildlife conservation and the, and the North American model of conservation and what hunters really go uh, after in, in, from a sense of trying to achieve this real balance that exists in the states where hunting is prolific, like in the West? How do we get this through the thick schools that... We don't want to terminate the entire population of grizzly bears. We just want them managed and have a healthy respect for humans. Yep, exactly. And unfortunately, these these people that we're up against don't care. Ultimately, they're anti-hunting. And in their little mind, once again, they believe that if we leave nature alone, there's no need for human intervention. And humans don't belong to be involved in, in managing wildlife. And so hunting is not in their outlook. It's not a part of their little dysfunctional mental agenda that they have for the ecosystem. And so that's the problem is, is just, you know, it's like talking to a brick wall. You're, you're never going to, you know, tell them any different. They're, they have their minds made up. It's nuts, man. I mean, we can we can take that down uh, a, a couple of different paths there in, in terms of this conversation. But it, I, I do believe, and I've I've talked about this on the show a few times, where there is this sense that a lot of this activism comes out of the, the you know the the woke leftist agenda and the and the mentality of the leftists that that get into this groupthink mode. I, I don't know, man. I, I ponder things. I ponder things on a, on a pretty philosophical level, even though I'm not super smart. I, I think about it from a sense that, like, you know, we, we've created this society where we've got this level of comfort in life where, you know, our biggest problems are the um, Uber Eats driver didn't deliver Taco Bell within the said time frame. Yeah, you know the, these things that that become major issues in people's minds. You know they put the wrong shit in my mocha latte or whatever. 
these things that erupt emotions unnecessarily because things are so easy. And when I say they're easy, I understand people still have mortgages to pay and car payments and, and the work could be a drag unless you're Dan Picard working at Eastman's. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, the, but, but these things in life where we've gotten to this place as, as a, as a country and as a society and as a, as a culture, we, we have to look for things to be outraged about. Hence, woke America and, and cancel culture and, and these things. And, and one of the things that people, especially leftists, tend to attach themselves to are things that they really don't know anything about. Like, what does a person living in some big urban center in, in a, you know, somewhere on the West Coast somewhere that has no experience in the woods, has no experience hunting, has never gutted a fish before, has never pulled the trigger uh, behind a rifle with a with a you know a mule deer in the scope, or or released an arrow on a black bear. What business or what experience do they have to even really have a solidified opinion that anybody should give any credibility to? I don't understand why they are the ones that get listened to over the actual people that are on the ground and live amongst the wild and amongst the wildlife. I don't know. And it just to prove your point is it's it's ballot biology wolves in Colorado. It yeah. was a vote. Can, can you believe this? No, and it's, I can't. <laughs> uh, it's 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 like just like what you were talking about earlier. It's 2023, and people on in the woke realm are arguing what sex they are and wanting to change a biological condition Mm -hmm. like if you think about that that's just that's insanity that's psychological you need mental help you need counseling and i'm not saying that in a a derogatory way but you have mental issues these and these mental issues maybe comes out of this place from a society that has gotten way too comfortable like yes you're not going to go to a third world country and listen to them arguing about what freaking bathroom they're going to use because they don't know what damn gender they are it it only happens in places like this where we get where we get this these emotional outrages over over your order being wrong at the restaurant and and again the activism for for hunting that or well against hunting it comes from the same place and and i i think that foundationally we have to get to the bottom of that before we can address whether or not we could talk any sense into some leftist that is that that wants to change their their gender and protest the fact that there's a deer season in Wisconsin or whatever. You know, it's, yeah, yep. we have a foundational problem. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. It's a foundational problem. And if, if I were somebody living in Colorado, I would not accept ballot biology. If I was a hunter, an outdoorsman, or a recreator, I do not accept those results. I would, I f- would fight Every step of the way with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, whatever you can do to get involved and fight the introduction of the Canadian gray wolf into Colorado, because that's where these wolves came from. Mm -hmm. I've seen him destroy herds in Montana. I've seen him destroy herds in Wyoming. And it's not good. Let me tell you, the epicenter of where the wolf was released in 1995 in Yellowstone Park the, the elk herds are down 
I know. And and even more so. And more so, so yeah. they are volunteering to destroy their big game herds. And it's more than just deer and elk. I, I do the Montana MRS, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I'm deeply concerned about this. Moose, moose, sheep, and goat populations in Montana. Every decade, we lose half our licenses for moose, sheep, and goat. Populations are declining at an alarming rate. And a lot of these poor habitats for moose, sheep, and goat in Montana are grizzly bear and wolf country. This is super predator country. Mm-hmm. This is the only thing that has changed. And so because we've allowed these super predators to run rampant for 25 years, luckily they're hunting Montana and they're hunting wolves in Montana pretty heavily. But I will add that they're getting pressure from the feds to reduce their quotas in Montana because of the wolf lovers. That's a whole nother story. Oh, yeah. But these super predators are destroying our deer or well, our deer and elk populations as well, but our moose, sheep, and goat populations, and the same will happen in Colorado. In 10 years, we'll have half the amount of tags that we have now. In 20 years, I truly believe we won't have opportunity anymore to hunt moose, sheep, and goat. There won't be enough left unless something is done. We need to focus on habitat improvement and we need to focus on managing these super predators, i.e., wolves, grizzly bears, and mountain lions. It's a, it's a huge deal. And, and so if you're a hunter or an outdoorsman, step up, fight it tooth and nail. Let's fight this. Let's stand against it and do everything that we can to the opening of that gate in Colorado with that first wolf being dropped to prevent it. We have to, because our livelihood, our hunting, our our ability to hunt and gather and our kids ability to do it are at stake in 20, 30 years. This is serious stuff. It is very serious. It, 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 what you're talking about, Dan, is the, the essence as to why I started this podcast, because I believe that hunters have a tendency to be kind of part of that silent majority where they let things happen to us and we don't proactively protect what we have. And and the, the problem that we have is the activists are far more engaged. They're far more involved. They're very much a more unified and louder bunch than hunters are. We kind of have a tendency to sit back and and you know we bitch about it and and it's like oh man well that sucks that didn't go the way i was hoping you know colorado is in a tough spot man they have this you know the governor is married to this dude that is basically a a uh, animal rights activist and has been for like i don't know a couple of decades from what i hear and it, yep. and they're appointing these people on the commission that are not uh, these are not pro hunters. These are not people that are advocates for hunting. You've seen what happens with that in Washington. They are not hunting advocates. They are not wildlife management activists. They are preservationists. And and the fact that we just sit by, sit back, I don't know. I I feel like Colorado needs to. There needs to be some outrage from hunters. We can only do so much from other other states. It's Colorado hunters need to step up their reaction and and stop taking it we we've got to all stop taking it because we are not activists as hunters we're just dudes and and gals that like to hunt and have a passion for this thing that is as old as a the you know as human mankind is um (laughs) i've got this little white-tailed buck dan uh standing outside my uh 
my studio here, my studio, my, my little hunting trailer I record in, right? And it's it can hear me, and so it's it's just staring at me and staring at you know through this window, and it's like throwing me off. I'm trying to make all these good prolific points, but um, he's just a little guy. Anyways, I don't know why the dogs haven't chased him off. Anyway, I I do I I, I completely agree with with what you said from a sense that hunters are are um, we're not we're not doing enough. We're not we're not being loud enough. We're not uni- uniting enough. We're not coming to some of these meetings and holding these legislators accountable because legislators should not be animal uh, or wildlife managers. We're not coming together and holding commissioners accountable and we're not coming together and holding um, the, the, the uh, fish and game as liable as they need to be, depending on what state you're in. Cause it's going to be, you know, there's a lot of variance between there. There's a big difference between Idaho and Wyoming versus Colorado and Washington, right? Uh, just politically speaking. And so, that's where the focus needs to be. Do you have suggestions as to how hunters can can go about and do that and become more unified and, and get louder? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the blue collar guy is busy working, providing for their family, exactly. living life life right, and you know the the opposition is collecting welfare checks and not working and playing the spoiled brat card, whining and crying and carrying on and doing extreme things. And, you know, Jim, I don't know what the answer is as far as matching these people or these animal activists or these humane society freaks that are in the parks and wildlife in Colorado and and California. But as hunters, as the opposition, we have to get loud and, and let our voices be heard and, and get involved in this stuff the loudest way possible let me put it that way i'm not gonna go tell you to go out there and do this or do that or do anything illegal anything like that i'm not that's not what i'm advocating but you need to figure out what's right for yourself thinking about the future of our ungulate populations and our ability to provide for our families and our kids to Mm -hmm. be able to provide for those their families when they're older in 30 40 years that's what you're fighting for so if that doesn't light a fire under your ass then i don't know what will i don't know what will either because again to to highlight a really important point that that you just mentioned and i i kind of referred to it is as hunters we are generally that blue collar or just average kind of person that has a passion for something that we like to pursue whether that's you know whether you're the kind of hunter that just wants to go out on a on a couple of saturdays every fall and and uh, shoot at deer uh, or, or you're somebody like i am or dan who's you know life kind of evolves around hunting we are not animal activists and that's the difference because most hunters have a day job most hunters are family people they're raising kids they've got mortgages to pay uh hopefully they don't they're not making a payment on a minivan but some of them are um they're i'm being sarcastic obviously folks uh, there, there's a lot of different things that are pulling us in different directions. We're thinking about Christmas in six months. We're thinking about, you know, uh, you know, selling this or buying that and going on a family vacation and all this stuff where the animal rights activist is solely focused on that mission, the mission to end hunting. I don't, I'm not a super conspiratorial kind of guy. Do you think that you, you'd mentioned, you know, like in 10 years, there's not going to be that, that the tag numbers, 
for moose, sheep, and goat in Colorado are going to be greatly reduced, and then like in 20 years, they might be non-existent. Do you think that that's the game plan from the animal activists when, when they do something like, hey, let's have a vote to release wolves into Colorado? It's it's definitely part of the agenda because their card is, yeah, we, we have these super predators. We have wolves to control the populations. We don't need hunting. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the hidden agenda of the bigger picture. And they truly believe these things. And mark my words, what, what are we, 1995 is when the wolf was reintroduced into yep. the park. So we're 2025. So that's 30 years, right? So... Mm-hmm. You know, 30 years, and and we saw the tolls after a decade. It it takes some time, but after a decade, uh, we've really saw uh, the wolf take tolls on numbers outside the park. And and let me do add, when they released the wolf in the park, uh, it was an experimental release, and the the goal was 100 wolves and 13 breeding pairs. But you you can see that, you know, we give them an inch and they take a mile, and now, you know— Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, enough is no, and, and just now, enough is never enough when it comes to the wolf. Exactly. Well, and and just the the northern Rocky Mountain region, the the whole region of the wolf reintroduction plan. Uh, when you're talking about numbers, I'll give you the for the state of Idaho, for example, was 150 wolves, 10 breeding pairs, and and that was what the objective was, and the. Idaho Fish and Game came and said, Idaho, as a state, the ecosystem and the, and the, you know, the landscape can maintain roughly 300 to 500 wolves. We are now sitting at over 1,200 wolves, and I don't know how many breeding pairs, but that is more the, by 10 times that the, the amount of wolves we have in just the state of Idaho is 10 times greater because it, I think it was two years ago, it, it was up to like 1543 was the official count. Ten times yep. greater than the entirety of the northern Rocky tri-state region for wolf reintroduction, meaning Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana was supposed to be 150 wolves. And, and that was the minimum objective. The state of Idaho alone is ten times greater than that. And it is not even 30 years later. And to your point, Dan, I, you know, I'm old enough that I, I, we used to go to Yellowstone when I was a kid. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking late 80s, early 90s. We'd go and, and you know, we'd go camp and uh, you didn't see anything but elk and bison back then. There were giant bulls standing in every river. There were elk everywhere. And I'm not saying that overpopulated elk is a good thing either. However... You go back now, you, you don't see elk. You very rarely yeah. actually see elk. All you see are bison. And and yep. th- that's great. I love seeing the bison. That, that That's awesome. In fact, I don't even like to go to the world's largest petting zoo anymore because it's it's just a shit show. But it's not it's not the wild utopia that that they thought bringing wolves would uh would would achieve. A 90% reduction even or or a 70 percent i can't remember what the reduction rate in the state or uh, yellowstone national park is but a a 70 to 90 percent reduction rate in one species is absolutely uncalled for and it's absolutely unacceptable that we allowed that to happen and that's what we did by not managing wolves and wolves in the park are still not managed no, they're not, and they're still trickling out all the time, yeah. and that's that's a good what you, what you said. I mean, that's just a good example. The the feds, 
the federal government, they do what they want. They don't care what people say, what they think. And and the parks are terrible for this. They're, they're their own little playgrounds. They're like their own countries, national mm-hmm. parks are. And I'm, I'm all about preservation, sure, of course. But they do what they want. They charge what they want. I have to pay. I'm a resident of Wyoming. I still have to pay $95 just to go from point A to point B if I want to go in the park yeah. or through the park. And on top of that, at this so back in the day they're saying you know this is the old nat geo model that they used to justify dumping all these wolves into the park they said oh well there's all these elk and there's so many elk they eat all the willows down and now there's not enough beavers there's no beavers because there's no willows for them to eat and the elk they cause all this erosion and it, it it's very hard on the habitat and the willows and we need to get rid of the elk it's it's a giant ecosystem chain but now, in reality, I mean, this is what they're teaching my daughter in school, the Nat oh, Geo man. agenda. And I said, no, 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 no. She's 11. And I say, here's the real story. So the Lamar Valley, it was a very famous valley for elk numbers and bison and grizzly bears, but but mainly the elk numbers. You go to Lamar Valley in September if you want to go view elk. Now, there's no elk to be seen bison numbers have tripled in the last 25 years and erosion has tripled as well because all this erosion quote unquote that they're blaming on the elk is actually from the bison the the bison are so much more hard on the ecosystem in the land just think of of having ten thousand cattle being unchecked out in a pasture like cattle destroy habitat if they're just left alone out there year round they destroy they're way harder on the ecosystem than a herd of elk is and so now you have all this erosion on the lamar river and in the lamar valley but no, that doesn't. That goes against the old Nat Geo political yeah. agenda justification, and so it doesn't get talked about. But in reality, the erosion is actually worse. There's no more beavers than there used to be. Give me a break. Yeah. And bottom line is, they they had to justify their reasoning for blindfolding the public and dumping wolves and making us deal with them for the last thirty years against against our approval unbelievable it's and this happened in america it's so unbelievable man I, I just it makes my fucking skin crawl to think that this kind of stuff just it, people are so tolerant of fantasy being sold to them and i don't care if it's man-made climate change i don't care if it's it doesn't matter name your leftist stupid fucking topic that they always want to shove down everybody's throats and, and, and they act like they're so enlightened and that we're all dumb and we can't think for ourselves folks need to start doing some critical thinking pardon my french by the way dan i use foul language on this show um but I, I just I don't understand when, when you're when you're talking about like the federal government and, and coming from that level. Now I'm getting taxed to help suppress some fantasy about climate change that isn't even proven. And and I'm I'm having to I'm have to I have to pay more money to that as if a tax is going to reduce climate change. As as if that's a thing, like like my money, my right, right. The the federal government's going to take more of my money than they already do, which is already ludicrous. And what are they going to do with it to stop climate change? 
I'm just curious. Like, does anybody have an answer for that? You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna force us to drive electric cars. It ain't happening, folks. It ain't. I, I will never drive an electric car. It won't work for me. I, I'm just all this stuff that comes out of the left, and people go along with it and believe it because uh, you know CNN says it. it it's it's mind boggling to me, and it's so frustrating. I get so mad. I get tongue tied while I'm even trying to talk about it on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel your passion, man. It's it's crazy when the White House comes out with they want to put a blanket over the sun to prevent the sun's UV yeah. rays to help combat climate change. It's like, yeah, what planet are you from? Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden, man, I, I just like I, I can't I can't even get into that because it's it's just there's people there's people that out there that literally think he's doing a good job as, as president of the United States. And it's just it's mind boggling. It's it's numbing. Um, Yeah. So anyways. I don't know where we were at, man. I got I got too mad. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just, it's just a tough one to swallow when, you know, the general public, like you, we just have a hard time. I mean, they pulled the wool over our eyes and did what they want. And the government, the federal government continues to do that. And, and that's how it always is. It's how it always it's is. Always, like, I mean, just look at the, yeah. like the COVID shot. They developed this COVID shot and, and all these, all these politicians that are promoting it and telling people that we should all be forced to take this shot that was like experimental. Uh, oh, by the way, they all happen to benefit financially from the companies that develop it. Um, uh, oh, okay, I just don't understand the naivete. I, I guess that's all I'm asking. I just want people to like have some critical thinking. And and I know that these animal activists they they'll never get there. They they've been they they've got so far down the propaganda trail. There's no coming back from it. Just out of pride alone, you could smack them in the face with a fact. And just out of pride alone, they are not going to come off this horse of being, you know, um, anti-hunting, animal activist, you know, kind of mentality of of all predators need to be placed upon a pedestal and never hunted or killed by mankind. Because this wildlife management balance utopia is going to happen if we just leave them alone. I just I, I, I hope that there is a way. It's not the activists that mind that I'm trying to change ever. Because they're lost, it's it's the average American, the the average person out there, that I, I I should hope could have and garner enough critical thinking skills to understand that ninety nine percent of the stuff you hear about wildlife management from activists is bullshit. It's just it's bullshit. It's not true. It is not reality. It's not even based in reality. And I hope you don't fall for it. Yep. Yep. Do some research. Get out there. Dig for yourself. Luckily, you know, half of America, I feel like, is pretty level-headed. And, you know, it it's pretty bad. I mean, when if, if now, at this point in our history, looking at this administration, if you're believing what you're seeing come out of Washington. Yeah. Like, you're too far gone, like you said. Well, um, yeah, I, I I do see some hope. I do see some hope. I think that a lot of people, I know people like this, man, that they, they go through life, they're focused on their job, they're focused on their kids, and they're focused on maybe a hunting season or, or some other various hobby that they might do, uh, and and they, they, 
they dabble in headlines every once in a while. Well, I heard this, this, and this, and it's called a low information voter. And then they they yep. they wander into a voting booth, and because they saw some headline, um, they were convinced to vote for the other guy. And I think that people are starting to come out of that shell and and understand that man i need to kind of pay attention to actually what's going on because i feel like i'm getting the wool pulled over my eyes and and i'm starting to see the results of that because this stuff matters even though i'm just maybe a uh you know maybe i'm just a a lawyer in some small town or a, a plumber in some you know urban area it doesn't matter you you gotta they're waking up to understanding that the way you vote affects your life every day. I mean, the I guess one of the biggest concerning things, like I, I see, I see right now, is we still have four dollar gas, and people aren't people aren't freaking out anymore about it. It's like we've gotten used yep. to this four dollar gas thing, and and it's to me it's unacceptable. We're not we're not energy independent. We're not we're like going the opposite direction instead under the guise of climate change we're shipping oil from overseas and, and paying some of our america's enemies uh, to to you know fill up your car to go to work it's it's just it's just ludicrous dude so i guess we've uh, burned this one down enough huh <laughs> beat the dead horse a few times burned her down just smoking ashes that's all that's left dan of all the people i never thought you were going to get me all fired up like that well i i appreciate you allowing me to you know speak how i really feel because you know i I hate saying it but i'm political but you have to be political because wildlife management is political it's not science nowadays and so as as much as much as you want to stay out of politics and say oh I i don't do politics i don't stop or talk about politics if you care about our resource and providing for your family well it's time to get political and so i feel passionate about it and i feel passionate about providing for my family and leaving that legacy to my kids and so that's that's why i'm fired up that's why you got to see this side of me today because I haven't ever let this out, so hopefully people yeah. enjoy this one. <laughs> well, man, you're you're more than welcome to uh, come on my show and invent that kind of stuff anytime because, uh, you know, this is what we do here. And, and uh, unfortunately, we're just – it doesn't matter if you're a hunter or not. Th- what matters is we don't have the luxury of not being political anymore in this day and age. It doesn't matter it, it, from the, you know, wildlife management side. It doesn't matter from, you know, the taxes side or the way your government's running shit. It's just you don't have the luxury to not be political anymore. It, we just we don't live. This isn't 1985 anymore. So this is a good place for you to come on and uh, share your feelings anytime, man. I, I always like having somebody that's, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff, I, I, I have a lot of respect for people that are fearless about, you know, expressing their beliefs and their, their points of view. And um, I, I think it's important. Um, it shows that you have a backbone and, and there's a lot of people out there that, you know, want to speak to certain topics or whatever, and they just don't have the backbone to to discuss what the real foundational issues are. And so, I appreciate yep. you. Uh, it's it's, it's been a good conversation, and and um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how you're hunting. Yeah, any any crazy good tags you got this year that I should know about? Or yeah, no, I mean nothing crazy. Uh, I finally drew a Montana antelope tag archery one, which has nice. been almost impossible to draw the last three years as a non-resident, but. Um, I'm happy to get out antelope hunting again, and we got a couple general tags, and I'll be in some good stuff and some good adventures again, and and uh, it'll be fun. Guy has that moose tag. I'm going to go moose hunting with him, so oh, right that'll on. be, right yeah, on. that's what I'm really looking forward to that hunt because 
you know, you don't get to hunt moose every day down here in the lower 48. So that'll yeah. be fun. Heck yeah, man. That'll be awesome. Yeah. I, I didn't draw anything, man. It's all general for me yeah. this year. So yeah. Yep. That's okay. Yep. I'll take it. I'll take it, brother. We got some good over the counter stuff here. So, uh, not, not complaining, but, uh, once again, man, I, I really appreciate, I, I like getting you on. You've got a lot of wisdom, a lot of, a lot of information, uh, that I, I think people need to hear and like to hear it. And, and so again, thanks a bunch for coming on. Uh, everybody listening, check out the Eastman's.com and jump on that mule deer course and check that out. It's 89 bucks. When does that expire, Dan? The $89. Yeah, we're going to go all the way to, uh, August 31st, you know, beginning of archery nice. season time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So just that preseason special. That's a good deal, guys. That's a lot of content for 89 bucks. And I, I'm telling you, instead of, instead of buying, you know, whatever gadget or, or gizmo you, you think you might need this hunting season, spend it on that, that mule deer course, it'll, it'll go a lot more uh a lot longer ways for you so brother man thanks again stick on the line for just a minute uh everybody else thanks a bunch for listening tuning in uh i would ask if uh, if you hated this show please just uh you know keep that to yourself and move on with life but if you loved it uh it means a lot to me and and the team at eastman's if if uh, you share it with somebody who you think would either benefit or would enjoy it like you did um, you could, you could like text it from, if you listen in Apple podcasts or Spotify or something, you can actually text it to people. Uh, you can, you can take a screenshot of like the episode promo that we do on Instagram and share it to your feeds that, that goes a long way and make sure you tag me. Uh, I might have some giveaway items for people that do that. Uh, and, and last but not least, I, I really appreciate if you guys can jump on Apple and give us a good review. Uh, that again, that goes a lot to growing the the show and the mission and, and everything we're trying to achieve here by saving the future of hunting, which is the stuff we talk about all the time. So, Dan, you the man, brother. Appreciate you joining me. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman. And write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the